newsletter, August 2022. Building a professional practice. Note, uh, a slightly different version of this writing appeared earlier this year in the newsletter for my online school, the Forest Center for Evolutionary Astrology. For more information about the school, please go to www.forestastrology.center. Many of you reading or hearing these words have no interest in making your living as professional astrologers. A lot of you are here for reasons of simple interest or personal growth. That's fine. Everyone is welcome. But one thing is 100% sure. If word gets out among your friends that you're studying astrology, some of them are going to ask you to have a look at their charts. Before you know it, and probably without even intending it, pretty soon you're practicing astrology. Where will that process eventually lead you? Who knows? It's easy to say that the choice is yours, and that's mostly true, but it's not really quite that simple. As you master evolutionary astrology, you begin to have a kind of spiritual superpower, and with that power come certain ethical imperatives. If someone is drowning and you are the only person who can swim, well, you see where that's all going. The first time I ever accepted money for an astrological reading was in the summer of 1973. I was 24 years old. A friend was at a turning point in a relationship, and she asked me to have a look at her chart. I'd been studying astrology as a hobby for about seven years at that point. I'd learned the rudiments from a potpourri of mostly contradictory and generally pretty depressing books. Naturally, I had already looked at the charts of many friends and even sat with them, but getting paid for it, the whole idea made me really nervous as if I were some kind of imposter, but I did that session with my troubled friend, and she was moved and helped by it, and so she insisted on giving me some money in exchange. I think it was $10, and even though I argued that money was not necessary, I soon enough realized that getting paid for the work, in fact, was necessary. It wasn't about me paying the bills. I already had a scut job that did some semblance of that. The real reason was that the exchange of money completed a kind of energetic circle and allowed both she and me to release any entanglements of imbalance that might have otherwise arisen and instead just bask comfortably in the goodness of the experience of the reading. Wheels turned. Four years later, I cut my ties to anything that resembled a conventional career and embarked on being a full-time astrologer. I've told that story before, so I won't repeat it here. Suffice to say that I now had to do a certain number of paid readings per week to keep the famous wolf from the door. I had crossed the line into becoming a professional astrologer, and I needed to pay some attention to the practical matter of building my practice. Only a few times in my life have my inner guides actually spoken plain English in my mind, planting a specific sentence there. This was one of those times. I found the words, say yes to everything, having somehow taken root in my thoughts. I knew exactly what those words meant, too. Whenever a chance arose anywhere for me to be public about my astrological work, I needed to take advantage of it. 
Once, for example, I drove 150 miles to speak for free in a bookstore for seven or eight people. That's the kind of behavior my angels advised. At first, I took it to be savvy marketing advice, and it was. But only later did I realize their advice had another dimension to it. Every time I spoke about astrology, whether it was privately to a client or publicly to a thundering horde of seven people, I was moving closer to finding my voice. And really, in the end, that is what building a practice is all about. During that period, I was living in Chapel Hill, North Carolina, the town where I went to college. Altogether, that was my home for a little bit over 40 years. By 1984, the inner sky had come out, and I really could have lived anywhere I chose. But I loved Chapel Hill and my community of friends and clients there. I still wasn't making a whole lot of money, but I was getting by. And if you are interested, there's a photo of the house where I lived on the written version of my website of, of, of this blog post. Uh, I, I had the upstairs apartment, if you're looking at the picture. That's where I wrote the inner sky and the changing sky, right behind that middle upstairs window of, of this obviously rather ratty little house. Reflecting back on those days, I do think that staying in one place actually helped me build my practice. That's because there's no advertising as effective as simple word-of-mouth buzz, and it takes time for that famous holy grail of marketing to reach critical mass. After 40 years in Chapel Hill, I almost felt as if I could have run for mayor. It seemed as if I had done astrological sessions with half the population. That's a big exaggeration, of course, but it makes the point. In building a practice, there are enormous advantages to staying in one place. Word gets around about your work. Nowadays, the internet and Zoom and all that have changed the playing field for aspiring professional astrologers. The benefits of remaining in one place long enough to become part of the woodwork are not quite as stark as they once were. And there are wandering astrologers whose practices basically exist in cyberspace. That works too, and maybe it suits your disposition better than putting down deep roots in a single community. If so, Go for it, of course. Still, when it comes to soul counseling, there is something unique about eye-to-eye human contact. Over time, a deep, almost familial bond can develop between astrologer and client. Meanwhile, the precious word-of-mouth advertising that results from it functions most effectively among networks of people concentrated in a single geographic location. If someone hears your name in a positive light, that's a good thing. But if that same person hears your name independently from six different friends over five years, that's pure gold. On top of that, there's just simply much to be said spiritually for feeling like you're serving a single community over the years. I know it works splendidly for me at many levels, and that happened long before my books had given me any kind of national profile. People often ask me about advertising. 
The conventional wisdom is that ads make the world go round, and I suspect that's true with cars and beer and politicians. I'm not so sure it's true with astrologers. In all honesty, I've done very little advertising over the years, so what I say here is speculative and personal. I do know that if I were seeking an astrologer myself, I would be much more likely to trust the recommendation of a friend who had had a good experience with that person over some glossy ad in a magazine or a fancy website full of glowing endorsements from, in quotes, Susie P and, in quotes, Jason R, whoever they are. Uh, the bottom line, choosing an astrologer is closer to choosing a medical doctor or a psychotherapist than it is to choosing a soft drink. Finally, in the end, there's no substitute for being good at what you do. Getting my students there is what the Forest Center for Evolutionary Astrology is all about. There are other paths, of course, other forms of astrology. Whatever methods you learn, do skillful, helpful readings, and your reputation will grow. That is the heart of the matter, and it is 100% guaranteed. There is no shortage of starving astrologers, but I suspect it says more about the quality of their work than anything else. The actual potential market is vast and still mostly untapped. As many of you probably know, I've had to stop booking clients entirely. I'm in my 70s and my waiting list runs over a decade. It was just getting crazy. I know I am in a unique situation because of my books and my public profile, but you really don't need to be famous, so to speak, to have a vigorous astrological practice. There are a lot of spiritually hungry people out there who want the kind of guidance that evolutionary astrology can give them without the long-term commitment and often calamitous expense of psychotherapy. You just need to be good at what you do. And along with skill and caring, you need patience enough to stay consistently in one place, whether it's actually a city, or some niche you have carved out for yourself in cyberspace. Whatever form it takes, you need to be there long enough for people to become aware of you and start telling their friends how much you help them. That's all it takes. Thank you.